Sports.com. This is Heat Wave Sports. What an incredible week two we have just had. An incredible start to week two. Let's be honest here. We still have two games to go tomorrow night. We're going to talk about both of those games. We are going to get into what happened today. Was that Dan Marino that I watched put on a number one jersey that said Tua on the back? Because it certainly looked like it. The Cowboys have quarterback questions because of good play. The 49ers, no more quarterback questions because of an injury. We'll get into all of that. The Jaguars, are they for real? We have to have a conversation about the Jaguars and seeing what's that, what's going on there. Well, the quarterback that always does what he always does, did what he always does, and that was on Sunday night, Aaron Rodgers looking good and beating the Chicago Bears. No team since 2020, that's 18 straight teams, have gone 0-2 and made the playoffs So a couple of these teams are in trouble. Brady getting it done. The Giants are 2-0 sitting at the top of the division. Belichick says, not so fast, don't write my grave just quite yet. The Rams barely hang on. And in a win, I think there's more questions than there are answers for them. And the same thing with the Denver Broncos. A lot more questions than answers, even though there's a win. And then we will get into the Las Vegas Raiders who are sitting at that dreaded 0-2 after just an absolute complete meltdown mode. Just a completely terrible game, no matter how you look at it, for the Raiders. So we're going to get into all of today's action, all of everything that went on today, and we're going to take a quick peek at the two games tomorrow. We have two Monday Nighters. Has anything changed? We're going to get Chris's opinion on that, and that brings me to exactly who's with me tonight. At least until Tim jumps on with me later on, if he gets there, it's Chris Wynn from Chris Wynn. Christian Wynn at Christian Wynn, W-I-N-N, over on Twitter. Radio personality, that's what we got to call you, Chris. I can't go over every show that you're on. Apparently, we learned that last week. How you doing today, Chris? Sounds good, Tommy. It's good to join you, as always, you and the, the Heatwave Sports family out there. Wow, talk about some of the wacky and wild storylines in the NFL, right, Tommy? Across the board. You can start here in Vegas, obviously, with the Raiders and having you know a double-digit lead like they had and find a way to choke and fumble the game away. You've got all these teams that were just written off, right, Tommy, from the New England Patriots across the board, and uh, they're able to come up with victories in the NFL. So all kinds of stuff taking place today on this Sunday and uh, moving into Monday Night Football tomorrow. We've got two matchups, so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun getting a chance to break down and talk about everything that happened in the National Football League today. Chris, you can write week one off as fluky. Last year, both the Titans and Packers lost in week one. They lost by a combined 30 points. They both grabbed the number one overall seed in the league. Last year, the Bills lost in week one. They were, look, an AFC championship and a a new rule away from going to the Super Bowl. You can write off week one, but the numbers say you can't write off week one and two. The numbers are there. 
We are now getting into the season. After two games, teams start to show you exactly who they are. I talked about the stat when I first opened the show up just now that the last 18 teams, that's going two years, that's going since 2020, the last 18 teams to go 0-2 did not make the playoffs. This is not a fluky statistic, guys. You get 0-2, you put yourself behind the eight ball. You brought it up just now. Let's start it off with the Raiders, the local team, the hometown team. This is rough. This is a bad 0-2 as well, because not only did you go 0-2, first of all, you lost week one to a division rival. That's number one. Second of all, you go 0-2, and you're watching Kansas City go 2-0. You're watching the Broncos go 1-1. You're watching the Chargers go 1-1. It's not like somebody else is in that division with you in your that same boat. And the fashion that you lost, where you had this game fully in hand, this was a 20 to nothing halftime lead. You had this game completely in hand. This was 23 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. You had this game completely in hand. Even in the fourth quarter, you got enough yardage on the winning pickup, scoop, and score. You had enough yardage to kick the game winning field goal. This one stings. Now, I know that the Raiders went through a lot last year, Tim. I'm sorry, Chris. I know for a fact that we watched it. We watched the coaching change. We watched uh, you know, the up and down nature of it. We watched unprecedented success after the coaching change from a special teams go. We watched all that. I don't know if emotionally you can recover from what we just watched. From the Cardinals' perspective, it was a huge win. It was big time. You kept your head above water. But I, I can't look at it from the Cardinals' perspective. This is all about the Raiders and the meltdown in Vegas. Look, here's the deal, didn't it? I mean, you're talking about a team that, you know, was one week after getting blown away by the Kansas City Chiefs. Then they go down 20 to nothing on the road going into the locker room at halftime here in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. You know, and by the time the afternoon's over with, you got, you know, Byron Murphy Jr. scooping up a, you know, 100 retro fumble, taking it the distance, and they're winning in overtime. You've got the Cardinals, you know, who got, you know, off the brink of, of getting beaten for the second straight week. And you got Kyler Murray, uh, you know, basically making one spectacular play after another there in the second half and kind of giving justification to why the Cardinals, you know, you know, gladly gave him another, you know, $230 million. And, you know, he's, he's out there and they're scoring and he's, and he's directly responsible for them getting two touchdowns and two two-point conversions when, after they trailed 23-7, to seven, Tommy, with less than nine minutes left in regulation. This is – look, I, I understand that this is more to me about the Raiders losing this game than the Cardinals winning it. But, I mean, this is just an absolute, uh, you know, devastating loss if you're, you know, if you're part of Silver and Black Nation that you go down 0-2, you're already in one of the toughest divisions in football in the AFC West, and now you've got to go on the road against mm-hmm. an, another team that, that, that still has a chip on their shoulder in the Tennessee Titans, who everybody has kind of written off, and you got to play that game. So it's, it's, it's a real tough spot for the Raiders to be in. And look, Josh McDaniels, I mean, his, his second go-around, right, Tommy? His second time around, not starting off too great for, you know, the offensive guy coming from the Patriots out here to the desert and, uh, you know, with his second head coaching stint with the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to look ahead here. 
the Raiders' problems have been highlighted. I have screamed it from the top of the mountain that they cannot run the ball, and their offensive line is bad. 57 rushing yards was the high in week one, 69 today. They cannot run the ball, okay? They, they simply can't. I know a lot of people want to go out there and blame, blame Derek Carr, and he looked bad. I, there's no way around it. He looked bad. Their defense looked bad. Everything did not look good, and I have to look at the schedule. So I am looking ahead. At Tennessee, you're going to be an underdog in that game. The Vegas Raiders are going to be underdogs in that game. You can win that game, but that absolutely can send you to 0-3. Denver, rival, at home, Las Vegas. Look, Denver has not looked good at all. I am not giving Denver an easy win there. Would anybody be surprised if they're 0-4? At Kansas City, you're you're not going into Arrowhead. Las Vegas is not going into Arrowhead and winning that game. You're looking at a very good potential at 0-5 entering that bye week. Then you come home against Houston. All right, you should win that game. Houston's no pushover anymore. New Orleans and Jacksonville both on the road. Uh, I'm not giving you layups there. Indy at home, at Denver, at Seattle. Then the both L.A. trips. I mean, there is no cupcakes on this schedule anymore because teams like Houston, teams like Jacksonville are playing above their head. I think that they sit back and they correct things and they probably get a win out of Tennessee and Denver, Chris. But I don't think they beat Tennessee and Denver. And I certainly don't think that they beat Kansas City. So I'm looking at going into the bye week and bye week six. I think they're getting one win max. I think you're looking at a one in four squad that could absolutely be 0-5. They got to find a way to shake off that second half today, Tommy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was a tale of two halves without question. In the first half, look, you, you talked about the running game, right, with Las Vegas and and some of the issues that they're having. In the first half, they, you know, you saw some of the positives when it, when it came to the running game. You saw Josh Jacobs able to get off on a couple of plays. You saw Amir Abdullah being able to be a contributor and be that James White type of guy that, that Josh McDaniels is going to need in this Las Vegas Raiders offense. And then in the second half, you just did not see that. And Derek Carr just did not play well in the second half. And that combined with the fact that your defense was out there so much in the second half. And that had a major, that was a major factor as to leading to their loss in this game also was defensively, they were just gassed, right? I mean, you go into overtime, you lose, you know, you, you catch a little bad luck there by losing the toss. And Arizona ends up getting the football after the defense was just out there, you know, all kinds of tired throughout the second half and and just was getting beat up on by the likes of, you know, James Conner and, and Kyler Murray and, you know, and Brown and all these guys on the offensive side for Arizona. So, again, I mean, they're going to have to – you can use whatever analogies you want to use, circle the wagons, they're going to have to – they're going to have to buck up, whatever, and find a way to get a victory in Tennessee because you just laid out a lot of the scenarios from a schedule standpoint. It does not look good. For Vegas and it is not it is not beneficial whatsoever when you, if you if you want to take a look at the at the uh, short term or long term schedule game with respect to the Las Vegas Raiders and what options they have as far as you know kind of placing themselves in the mix down the stretch when it comes to the AFC playoff picture. Yeah, I, I mean I think things look bleak. The one thing I will say about you know the guy that's the special teams coach quote, quote unquote is that. He was an emotional coach, and you need an emotional coach right now. This is not an emotional head coach. He is more of an X's and O's guy. 
He's not that rah-rah guy. He's not the guy to get behind him. You're going to need Derek Carr to kind of step up to go to a different level, which he did last year. But I wonder if he's going to be allowed with this coaching staff. I wonder if this coaching staff is going to allow him to kind of become the player that we needed him to be last year. And this team thrived on him being last year. Well, you see flashes, don't you, Tommy? I mean, you really do. When it comes to the offense, you see that, you know, Derek Carr hooking up with Darren Waller on that play there in the first half. And you see, you know, you see a, a lot, s- certain plays where Derek Carr out there and he's zinging the football into tight spots and, you know, and they're getting completions and they're able to move the football. But they're just, there's just too many of those monstrous mistakes, right? There's too many of those, you know, in, in game one against the Chargers, there's too much Derek Carr throwing interceptions at key spots. And in this game, obviously, you can you can just, you know, you can have tunnel vision into overtime and see that, you know, Hunter Renfro, a guy, by the way, a guy who hasn't had, you know, in the first two games of the season, hasn't had a very good start, to say the least. For a guy that's been touted as, you know, one of the marquee slot receivers in the NFL, it has not been a top-notch start for Hunter Renfro and the Las Vegas Raiders. And it's capped off by an overtime in which he fumbles on one play where they get lucky and get the football back. And then, of course, you have a disastrous outcome of the second fumble where essentially he's, he's basically, and I don't know exactly what the status is yet on Hunter and whether or not he's going to be available for the Tennessee game based on uh, you know the concussion protocol or, or the evaluation. But he gets absolutely rocked on the, on the second play, and Arizona takes advantage, scoops the ball up, and has the game-ending you know, touchdown the other way in which uh, you know, basically – makes Hunter Renfro look horrible. So uh, there's things they have to absolutely clean up from an offensive standpoint, and they have to be much more consistent offensively uh, against teams that they're supposed to be able to light up. And uh, they need to be that that team, right, Tommy? They need to be one of those offensive juggernauts in the NFL if they're going to be able to kind of right this ship and turn things around and be effective in the AFC. Well, let's talk about their division foe, the Denver Broncos. I told you guys before the year began that Nathaniel Hackett should be fired immediately. He should never have been hired. This guy is an absolute clown on the sidelines is exactly the terminology that I used. And I got a lot of pushback. I got a lot of pushback even from you guys out there. By the way, you guys want to have a conversation. It's 876-1340 or at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter, at Christian Wynn over at Twitter as well. And I heard it from you guys. Well, you just hate the Broncos. You just, you just hate the Packers. It has nothing to do with the Broncos. You hate the Packers, and he's a Packers guy. Like, guys, I've watched him for years. He, he, he's, a, he's a clown. He didn't deserve a head coaching job. Well, in game one, there was a lot of questionable calls. In game two, this was amateur coaching. You know, I play Madden with my eight-year-old son, and I will tell you, if he made some of these coaching mistakes, I'd be like, buddy, come on. What, what are we doing? timeouts, not got getting uh, punters on the field, deciding, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if I really want to kick a field goal. Do I want to go for it? Plays coming in late. He used his last timeout with 7.36 left to go in the game. Russell Wilson looked horrendous out there today. 14 of 31. Javante Williams, who got 11 looks last week. Well, he got 12 looks, 11 receptions last week, got Looked at one time, one catch. That's it. They lost Derek Jerry Judy in this game. I understand that. Wilson looked bad. The game plan was horrible. I mean, the Broncos just look lost out there. But they get a 16-9 to win. 
They walk out with a W. Forget about all the coaching mistakes. A win is a win. They are one and one. But I have to tell you, Denver, there's a great line in the movie Tin Cup. And he says, you know, my swing feels like an unfolded lawn chair. Denver's offense looks like an unfolded lawn chair. Tommy, this is so many characteristics of this game that were just absolutely atrocious for the Denver Broncos, right? You're going home, and you still have a hostile crowd towards you in Denver, right? You have all the problematic play calling that was going on, you know, with 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 Hackett and his coaching staff. You had, you know, a team in the Denver Broncos that was, you know, the phrase was used quicksand when it came to the red zone, right? This is a Broncos team that just could not get it done when they're inside the 20-yard line. And then you've got all the penalties, right, Tommy? You want to talk about and all the and by the way, they weren't, you know, penalties that were questionable. There are a lot of just, you know, just terrible penalties on Denver's part. There's th- like 13 times for 100 yards. That's 25 penalties, Mr. Barton, on the season for Denver, which is the most ever this franchise has ever had in back-to-back games. You know, look, they pull it out on defense. You know, they basically held Houston to, you know, the, uh, the the Kay Fairburn show, the guy has three field goals. That's all their offense that Houston was able to muster. And you're talking about Russell Wilson, right? You talk about how bad he was. The guy just completed six of his first 20 passes in the game. Now, look, you know, uh, uh, you got to give him a little bit of love, I guess, because he went four for four on that Broncos go-ahead scoring drive there late where you had, you know, it was highlighted by that 35-yard pass to Cortland Sutton, and then they had the 22-yard, uh, you know, uh payoff to uh to Saubert that that end up putting Denver ahead 13 to 9 but nobody's going to be patting the Broncos on the back Tommy after this win over uh you know a Houston Texas team Texas team that's now 0 1 and 1 and everything you know look and and rightfully so the negative spotlight is coming down on Hackett it really is you go all over social media right Tommy you jump on and anybody that's anybody that's in Denver or in Colorado, is just hammering Hackett left and right, and they are absolutely justified. The, 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 the coaching decisions that he's made in his first two games in Denver rival the worst of any coach in the history of the National Football League, and I'm not being overdramatic by saying that. That's just simply the way it is. Now, look, Broncos are one-on-one. I guess you can look at it from that standpoint. They're, you know, they have a chance to kind of fix things, but – that is not going to be any type of display of great coaching or great, you know, football by any stretch of the imagination with a 16 to nine win over the Houston Texans today, Tommy. Yeah, I, I was, I was just, it, it was frustrating to watch. I had no money on this game. Tom sports.com guys. I had one early game. I got the over in the lions game and your lions game. I got the over. Yeah. I had a two-team money line parlay for the night game, so I, I didn't have any any bet on this game one way or the other. It was frustrating to watch. I know I gave away a prop play last night, uh, so I guess I did kind of have a bet on the game. Uh, but 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 overall, I'm saying the <laughs> overall game. It was frustrating to watch. I mean, I, I was watching this game, grinding my teeth at the mistakes they were making, and I didn't really care if Denver won a lot or lost. Right? It meant, it meant nothing to me. If Denver won or lost, as a matter of fact, I'm in a huge uh, $25,000 pool for a survivor pool where more than half the people are already gone and and hundreds of people had the Broncos. So it would have been better if I, if I would have lost the game, if they would have lost, but I just couldn't watch it. You're watching something 
that it's not second guessing, Chris. We're not sitting back and second guessing. This is obvious stuff. Get your your kicker on the field and make a decision. Don't blow a timeout. If you see something working, Javante Williams, at the time that they did this, right? Javante Williams was averaging 6.7 yards per carry at the time they decided to give a handoff on a third and one to a guy that hasn't touched the ball all year, right? I mean, what what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? And that's what happens, though, in the NFL. You see some of these guys, some of these, especially offensive gurus, they, they want to they want to prove a point. I'm smarter than you, rather than just go with what with what's working. Javante Williams last week, twelve targets, eleven catches. He was fantastic out of the backfield. This week, one catch for ten yards. Now he did rush it fifteen yards for seventy five, uh, uh, seventy five yards for fifteen carries. So they ran the ball a little bit more. But things were just were not working. Things were just not working. And he refused, Mr. Hackett there, refused to change it up. I texted Tim. I texted Rob at half. I said, I don't care if he wins the game. They should fire him right away. I mean, he's clearly, clearly in over his head. So I have to ask you, after two weeks, the Broncos are one and one. It's not a bad deal. People had this Denver team going to the Super Bowl. Not me. And I don't think you did. Does this does this change your opinion after two weeks of the Denver Broncos? Do you start to look at them almost like a dog with a with a tilted head and go, yeah, I just don't see it? Because I am certainly looking at this team and going, I just flat out don't see it. Oh, no doubt it changes my opinion because I was looking at this team going into the season with glass half full mentality. You're bringing in Russell Wilson. You're getting back, you know, a lot of the offensive pieces that are going to be healthy. You're going to be able to implement them and they're going to be able to kind of flex their muscles from that standpoint and, and still have, you know, a solid defense. And essentially what have we seen in the first two weeks? We've seen that Paul had is a detriment to this team as a head coach, and that just can't happen. You cannot have a, a viewpoint of this team. And you brought up, you know, the kind of, you know, how we look at this team now through, you know, when, when, when we evaluate, we evaluate them, we're, we're not, we're not being judgmental. We're not just, you know, popping off we're all we're doing is evaluating you know decisions that have been made and that are just flat out wrong you saw it last week you know on on basically the last series of that game in which you know he made the absolute wrong decision in that case and there was a there was a bunch more of them here in week two against the, the lowly houston texans so uh there's no question tommy that my viewpoint and i'm sure a lot of people around the league that uh are following the nfl they just have a different opinion as to what exactly this Denver Broncos team will be when it comes to the framework of the AFC West. And I, quite frankly, look, I was I was somebody who, and not to pat myself on the back, but I had the Denver Broncos as probably the fourth best team in this division, but still had them making the playoffs and still thought that they could be a playoff team. I, I still, at this point right now, have them as the worst team in this division, but I, I the, the, the prospects from a playoff standpoint will get much more murky depending on uh you know what they're able to do the rest of the way all right chris this is what we're going to do since we talked about the afc west let's take a time out come on back when we do we'll get into the disgustingness that was the packers bears we'll get into your lions win which was nice the jets with the beautiful comeback tom brady holds on the giants are 2-0 and we'll get into all of it how about those jaguars by the way all that and more right after this break right here on heat wave sports 
Second and two on our own 24. What defensive set might we call? Eagles zip a hero unless the setback shifts into the eye. Good. Third and seven. Okie Thunder Lions. That's your assignment. Kill the quarterback. Hit the tight end so hard his girlfriend dies. Kill everybody. This is Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. All right, guys. Welcome back to Heat Wave Sports. That Alvin, that's the voice of Alvin Mack, who seems like a uh, very, very good middle linebacker, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> right? He he was going to be one of the Lawrence best. Taylor Tommy of that movie, no doubt, right? Yeah, that that was his yeah, deal. So. <laughs> although although my, my wife still gets so upset when I tell her it, it's about Florida State. I'm not even joking. It is about Florida State. Uh, that was kind of what it was about, and uh, she gets so mad. Stop! It's about Miami. I'm like, come on. Even the colors of Florida State. <laughs> even even I thought that. Kane, I thought Kane was overrated, Tommy. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, look, he didn't have the he didn't exactly have the you know premier physical attributes you'd think out of a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. <laughs> no, Kane Kane is not able. <laughs> All right, let's get into it here. Let's get into the uh, Sunday nighter that this travesty that everybody saw coming, including myself. Bears Packers. Rogers did what you know. Rodgers always does, which is beat the beat the Bears. Look, they look good early on, and I like some of the things that the Bears are showing out there. I do. I actually had an argument with some knucklehead on Twitter um, where he said, you know, the, the Chicago Bears only have two above-average players and literally left off Robert Quinn. I, I mean, you're an idiot if you say something like that. So I had to actually have a, a Twitter argument. Look, they have some talent around the field, but they were no match here. They were – the Packers said – Okay, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to come after Rodgers. They're going to try not to get Rodgers uh, killed out here. Let's just run the ball all day long. And that's exactly what they did. They just ran it and ran it and ran it. In the big picture, this speaks nothing of the Bears. It really doesn't. I mean, take the Bears out of this. Nobody thought that they were a playoff team anyway. Nothing changes. But I'll tell you, I, I am very impressed with the Packers if they can run the ball like they did. The Bears are not a great litmus test here, but enabled to run the ball with effectiveness, with Jones and Dylan, the way that they did, I have to tell you, I was very impressed with that running game, Tim. This was just more of the same to me, Tommy, as someone like you who follows the NFC North. Green Bay beats the Bears again, right? Seventh straight time, you know, matching the second longest win streak in the 205-game history of this uh, NFL's oldest rivalry. You know, the Packers, what, they won 10 straight over the Bears from – from back in the mid '90s, they had two other seven-game win streaks in the series. From you know back back in the 1920s, then once uh, back in the early 2000s as well too. And they know where their bread is buttered, right, Tommy? Look, this is not going to be the Green Bay Packers. They're going to be slinging the ball around, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be putting up 400-yard games and three touchdown games. A lot of their success this year, Tommy, is going to weigh on that running game. Aaron Jones showed up big time right after a game last week where he was kind of lackluster. You know, he had five carries for four, you know, under 50 yards last week and a few catches for under 30 yards in their season opening loss last week to Minnesota. He was solid. He was solid in this game today. He was rushing for, you know, 132 yards. He had a touchdown both uh, through the air and on the ground, uh, catching a, a scoring pass from, from Rodgers in this one. He had, uh, you know, 8.8 yards per rush that led that uh, Green Bay rushing attack of uh, over 200 yards on the ground. So that was big time for them. You know, you had the Packers build that that 24-7 halftime lead there by that dominating second quarter, essentially. And then they make that goal line stand against your boys 
in the fourth quarter to kind of thwart that uh, Chicago Bears comeback attempt. So, uh, if you know, there, there were some concerns, I think, you know, from seeing Justin Fields in this game. And he talked about it. Look, he's, he mentioned it in the postgame press conference, you know, coming off, uh, coming out with a disappointing loss like this, it hurts. He mentioned, he said, we got to just respond. We'll see how they, you know, they do that because, you know, he's just, ha- look, the bottom line is this with Fields. He has struggled, right, Tommy, to connect with this crop of receivers. It's, you know, it, it just hasn't been the case. He hasn't been able to kind of to get Komet things going with the likes of Moody and the other guys there uh, wearing the Chicago Bears colors. So, to me, it was much more of a kind of what we expect when these two teams face each other. And, look, I know a lot of people were kind of jumping on the, oh, I think Green Bay – or excuse me, I think Chicago can go up there and win – against the Packers. And there's, there's, look, there's a lot of uh, uh, rational reasoning why people thought that, but that was not going to be the case as you saw the matchup up there and, uh, and you saw the Packers kind of uh, get things done the way they did. Chris Cole commit week one in the slush, one target. And he said, okay, you know, you can deal with it because it's the rain week two, one target all game. I, I don't know what's going on with Cole commit and that, connection he's got to be basically your number two receiver if not your number one and they're just not utilizing him the bears take on houston next week so there is a get right spot here except this isn't the same houston team that we're used to bears minus three depending on where you're shopping around you get three you get two and a half sir out there and there is a three and a half out there if you like houston at home look i mean you have to like the bears at home but this houston team is tough this might be one of those spots where you take the plus three, and if you get the plus three and a half, yeah. But doesn't I mean look as as a uh, you know an amateur every day every man when it comes to sports betting and sports gambling, I look at this game and I got I got to tell you, Tommy, it just screams to me it might be a solid pass, right? I might this might be a game that I might want to stay away from, given you know you have two teams that we really don't know. What we're going to get from either one of these teams, you know, even though we, you know, we had a well, chance to play returns two games to Chicago already this season, it, it really is a toss-up to me. Lovey Smith returns to Chicago. That's got to play into it a little bit, right? I mean, yep. You know, he was fired after a ten-win season. I don't, I don't think they had a ten-win season since he was fired. I mean, that was that's something to play into. And then Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Brady, Rogers. And Tampa Bay is a three-point favorite next week against Green Bay at home. Well, there's no question, right, Tommy? It's going to be one of the marquee games next week, given that storyline. And every time these two quarterbacks go head-to-head, it seems like we just we just kind of forget or don't care about the rest of the teams. It's just like, you know, okay, what, you know, it's, it's, it's all about Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers' legacy when they go up against each other. So that's going to play out also in this matchup between the Packers and the Bucks next week. And it's going to be one of those hyped games that everybody's going to be focused on. Let's talk Bucks Saints. Uh, Bucks get out of New Orleans with a 20 to 10 win. Huge brawl. Evans and Lattimore. I gave the stats on my Sunday morning show, Want to Bet Weekend Edition this week at Sports Garden Network, where uh, in the last seven matchups, Lattimore has held Evans to under 60 yards. He owns that series. It's a heated rivalry. It's a problem. Lattimore was chirping in Brady's face. Fournette got in Lattimore's face, and then Evans took it upon himself to throw punches. There was all kinds of bad blood here. 
Tom Brady had lost the last four regular season games against this team, the last four regular season games, double digits. But look, it's a new coaching regime, and it's a new head coach uh, coming in there with a, with a new philosophy, but there's still some old blood. The undoing here, and you could talk about the Saints all you want for all their problems. They couldn't run. They didn't have Al Kamara. Yeah, you're right. And the Bucs did have problems. Their offensive line is still a shaky bunch. The, the Bucs didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. This was a 3-3 game going into the fourth quarter. Jameis Winston was is just – he looks as badly hurt as the report came out where he's got four you know broken back, uh, broken things in his back. He looked awful. This is this is one of those spots where I'm trying not to react at all to it. It's a rivalry. It's a heated rivalry. The the Bucks and Saints are gonna play rough. They're gonna play tight. They're gonna play good defense. I'm trying not to react, but Chris, I almost have to. I'm worried about the Buccaneers and what I see with the Bucks. I was worried coming in because of what is going on with their offensive line, and I'm worried about the Saints' offense. I never thought Winston was the answer. I, I know that they are missing Kamara today. I get that. But I'm worried about the Saints in the last two weeks, barely beating Atlanta and allowing 200 yards rushing to Atlanta in game one. And now their defense at times didn't look good against a bad unit. What's your take on this one? Interesting game, given that, you know, you had that narrative going in where this was a Saints team that appeared they, they were in Tom Brady's head, right? And they were, when it came to – regular season matchups, obviously, with Brady not uh, beating the Saints with the last four times they played each other. But it was literally and figuratively, you know, two teams just kind of feeling each other out and 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 trading blows, essentially, until the fourth quarter when you talked about then you had the uh, skirmish that went down and you had, you know, uh, you know, you got Brady, John with Lattimore after a drive stalling incomplete pass. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, Tampa Bay ends up getting the defining uh, offensive play there in the fourth to, to get the go-ahead touchdown and to hold on to this win. But make no mistake about it, this is a, uh, a a situation where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I can't be all kinds of fired up about this Buccaneers team. You mentioned, of course, the issues they have from an offensive line standpoint. They get a win last week over a Dallas Cowboys team that, you know, obviously, you know, the, their star quarterback ends up going out of the game, and that's a huge impact on them. And they end up losing the football game and then they end up beating, you know, their rival in division rival in the fashion that they did today in this game and, and how things shook out as far as the fourth quarter and uh, you know, all the emotion that, that was going down there in the fourth quarter. And, and Tom Brady talked about, look, there was, yeah, it just, it was a team that was not executing throughout the first three quarters of the game. And then they're able to kind of do some things in the fourth quarter and Brady gave credit where credit is due with Tampa Bay. And this is, Again, I talk about where your bread's being buttered with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's their defense, right? Their defense is the reason that they won Super Bowls. They're, de- they're you know, they won a Super Bowl in the last three years. Their defense is, was a big reason why they won last week and why they were able to win this week. And so, I think we need to give credit where credit is due there. And and th- look, Tom Brady. Let's let's face facts. He's forty five years old. He's not going to be able to go out there and do the things he was able to do when he was 24, 25, 26 with the New England Patriots. You just won't be able to do that. So there's going to have to, the, the, the Buccaneers, if they're going to win games for Todd Bowles and this team, it's going to have to be defense first. And then offensively, they're going to have to find ways to get sparks at certain times. And they were able to do that in this game here today. And it was, and they were, quite frankly, just able to do enough offensively and get enough out of the likes of guys like Tom Brady, like Leonard Fournette, like Mike Evans. And – 
you know, to put them over the top against the team. I think that they're that's going to be battling them, quite frankly, Tommy, in my humble opinion, in the NFC South all season long. How about the Saints uh, next week? Minus three on the road against Carolina. I don't think you can make a bet on this game unless Kamara comes back. And even if Kamara comes back, you do have Carolina at home staring at 0-3 in the face. I like the Saints defense. I'll tell you that. I like everything I see from the Saints defense. Even today, even in the fourth quarter, I still like the Saints D. Uh, but their offense, I have no confidence in. I want to jump all over the Saints if Kamara's healthy. But I'm a little hesitant here. What's your take? Yeah, we'll have to see exactly exactly what the situation is regarding the rib injury and Alvin Kamara because he is such an instrumental part of that team offensively. Look, you like what you get out of Chris Olave, and it looks like Michael Thomas, you know, at at times has a resurgence, right? And has, you know, he he shows up and can start making Michael Thomas circa 2015, 2014 type of plays. But Alvin Kamara is absolutely a difference maker with this team offensively. And, and uh, so I concur with you. It's going to be very tough from a handicapping standpoint or just from a, just from a breakdown standpoint, right, of this uh, Carolina and New Orleans Saints matchup if, if the likes of Alvin Kamara is not in the mix. Well, let's go to the Panthers. And you're talking about uh, they are 0-2. This was a team that I did believe, I told you, before the year began, we started to, before the schedules came out, uh, we started to talk on the end. I said, man, I think Carolina is that team that's going to take a step forward this year. I was I was interested in their defense. I like Burns. I like uh, Thompson. I do like Chin. I liked more. I think McCaffrey coming back healthy. Then they signed Baker, and I said, yeah, I think the Panthers could push for a playoff spot. I just don't love Matt Rule. And then the schedules came out, and I said, wow, this is, a, this is brutal. I'm not sure I could take him. And I didn't wind up taking the Panthers making the playoffs because of their schedule. They look terrible. They lose 19-16 today. The Panthers go to 0-2. The Giants, on the other hand, they go to 2-0. Christian McCaffrey, yeah, he had 100 yards rushing, but it was not a Christian McCaffrey kind of game. Still looking for the end zone. Still looking to be that number one guy that people drafted in fantasy. On the other side, the Panthers' defense did well. Again, right? I mean, they, they are playing effective, if not fantastic, up front for sure. They sacked Daniel Jones all day long, lived in, up in his grill, and at the end of the day, they still took a loss here. The Giants are 2-0. you got to love the feel for the Giants. Dable comes in, says, we're going to change the culture, and I alluded to this last night. So many times people come in and say, I'm going to change the culture. And you think the culture changes, then you go, ho-hum, everything's exactly the same. Well, the Giants leaned on Saquon Barkley in game one. They went for two to go for the win. Then they screech out a win here where Daniel Jones at, at 176 yards total, the, the leading receiver at 51 yards. I mean, what are we talking about here? But they got themselves a win. Saquon Barkley didn't have a great game, but they got themselves a win. They're winning weird. They're winning dirty. They're winning gritty. However you want to say it, the Giants are winning and the Panthers are playing well, but the Panthers are losing. These two teams, not much separated them today. I don't think much separates them on the season, except in the standings where the Giants are 2-0 and and the Panthers are 0-2. Yeah, a huge storyline for me is obviously Brian Dayball there in East Rutherford for this New York Giants team. Look, we understand that you know the Giants, what, 2-0 for the first time since 2016, which uh, I got to be honest, I'm kind of surprised that it was actually that recent that this team was 2-0. But that being said, they end up sending the Carolina Panthers this was they're not just 0 2, Tommy. This is a Panthers team that's lost nine straight games. Okay. So this is a franchise that's absolutely reeling as of right now. 
But if you watch the pregame show on Fox Sports today and you saw uh, Jimmy Johnson was talking about the importance of Brian Dable there with the New York Giants and the impact that he has had. He has absolutely been instrumental for this team early on, and it is absolutely shown. Look, from an offensive standpoint, it is by no means a juggernaut, right? It's not like – and you you mentioned it. Saquon Barkley didn't have some monster game. You're not seeing, you know, uh, you know, Daniel Jones and receivers going out there having huge games whatsoever. But they're doing just enough to win. They're finding ways to win ugly. You know, you get Graham Gano kicking a 56-yard field goal with essentially, you know, just under four minutes to play in the game and much like the game in Denver, right, Tommy, where the Broncos were getting booed off the field at halftime. That was a situation there in the metal pants where the giants fans were just blasting them going into halftime because of uh, the ineptness of the team, you know, er- early on in that football game. So you get uh, a giants team that, uh, that the, the, what the giants have been has, has been flat out impressive to be honest with you, the first two weeks in beating both Tennessee and now Carolina and uh, the Carolina Panthers are flat out doing the opposite, right, Tommy? Uh, you know, they start the season by dropping a you know a 26-24 game to the Cleveland Browns on a late field goal last week, and then today, you know, they spot New York a six-point early lead, and they allow the the Giants to handle their business and win late as well too. You're not getting uh, any type of uh, electrifying performance when it comes to Baker Mayfield whatsoever, Tommy. Guy goes out there and throws for what one forty-five and a touchdown, and uh, it's just not a, it's not a team offensively other than Christian McCaffrey that really puts in, strikes any fear into you, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, with the exception of you know occasionally DJ Moore getting free for, for a score, this is a team that uh, you know is re- if you're relying on Eddie uh, Pinheiro, Tommy to uh, to boot a bunch of field goals, that's not good if you're a Carolina Panther fan. And it showed in this matchup against New York today. Speaking of New York, let's keep it with the Jets in one of the more improbable games of the day. Uh, I told you I am in a survivor pool, and it, it's a big-time survivor pool. And and so many people had the Browns. So many people had the philosophy this year, just go against the Jets in every single game. I mean, that was the philosophy. Last week, Joe Flacco stepped back 59 times. He attempted 59 passes, and we said, well, there's just no way, right? I mean, they have to run the ball. There's no way that's going to happen again. No, it didn't happen again, but he still threw the ball 44 times. Joe Flacco is back-to-back 300-yard games, four touchdown passes for Joe Flacco, and this just fell apart for Cleveland. I said it time and time again, the only good guy on this team for Cleveland is Nick Chubb. He went off 87 yards, three touchdowns. They should have been running him the entire time. Just run it, run it, run it. Robert Sala this week in New York said, I'm taking receipts. I'm keeping receipts of anybody that doubts the Jets. And, man, he's going to be cashing some of those receipts. This was a 14-14 game at the half. So I don't want to hear about this huge comeback, right? 14-14 game at the half. Going into the fourth quarter, the Browns were up by three. So many people are sitting back. And I'm watching the highlights today going, oh, what a comeback from the Jets. Yes, they did. But it wasn't like they were dead and buried. This wasn't a team that was beaten all game and just happened to kind of get lucky at the end. No, the Jets played well today. The Jets played well against the Browns team that should have lost the game against this Carolina team that we just talked about last week. The Browns defense gave up 31 points to the Jets. The Browns defense didn't look great late in the game against Carolina. I don't know what's wrong in Cleveland, but their defense does not flat out look good. 
And the Jets have some things working. I think the Jets are going to be a dangerous team this year on the covering end. Look, I, I still think they win, you know, four, five, six games or something like that. But on the covering end, nobody wants to bet the Jets. It's hard to bet the Jets. But the Jets walk away with a win. Tommy, I got to tell you, there's a lot of remarkable fun facts regarding this game and uh, particularly pertaining to the ending of this football game. The Jets, obviously, scored two touchdowns in the span of 60 seconds, right? A New York minute, by the way, to wreck Cleveland's home opener. You know, look, according to ESPN statistics, Tommy, teams have won 2,229 consecutive games when leading by at least 13 points in the final two minutes. The last team to blow that kind of lead was these Cleveland Browns against your Chicago Bears back in 2001. Okay, so so there's that. Then there's also the fact, look, I understand you're a handicapper, right? There's a lot of great handicappers out there here in Vegas, right, that looked at this game and did not think that the New York Jets were probably going to win this football game, right? And, there, and, and rightfully so. But how do you handicap Tommy against a 37-year-old Joe Flacco going out there and having – Four touchdown passes one week after a rough opener, you know, and, you know, he finds – and by the way, you're seeing the emergence of Wilson as a wide receiver for the New York Jets. It's reminded me a lot of last year with Jamar Chase and the Cincinnati Bengals, right, and the impact that he had as far as that Cincinnati offense with this kid Garrett Wilson in New York. But that being said, you know, Joe Flacco's out there slinging around touchdown passes and, uh, you know, ends up – Garrett Wilson ends up having a huge one there with 22 seconds left. As the uh, as they kind of rally for the improbable win, and you know this is a Cleveland Browns team that blew a two touchdown lead in the final two minutes. I mean, there's just there's no way to handicap that, and it's you know the the team other than the Las Vegas Raiders that is shell shocked right now when it came to the NFL on this NFL Sunday is absolutely the Cleveland Browns because you love what they have as far as Nick Chubb running the football and Kareem Hunt kind of spelling him. And look, Jacoby Brissett is not going to set your hair on fire, but he's a guy that, you know, tends to not go out there and make a bunch of mistakes that's going to lose you football games. This is absolutely, though, uh, a shocker if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. And, you know, despite the fact that Nick Chubb has three rushing touchdowns and the third one put them up, you know, with that 13-point lead there with two minutes to go, and then not winning the football game, it's just absolutely got to be demoralizing for all things Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Brown fandom, Tommy, that they end up losing this football game. Especially on the day they un unveiled Brownie the Elf. What in the blue hell is going on with that thing? I, I mean, what? Were you what? surprised? I, look, Tommy, I was. I, I didn't really know. I was kind of taken aback. I didn't know what that situation, what, what that logo was on the field. It was kind of uh, surprising to me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Brownie the Elf. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Only the Cleveland Browns. By the way, Cleveland plays Thursday night. They are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Pittsburgh. This is the third time in a row Pittsburgh will be underdogs. Mike Tomlin, we'll get into that game after the break, but Mike Tomlin is 41-24 and 24 as an underdog. In the division, underdog is even better. I don't know if you can lay three-and-a-half points to anybody if you're Cleveland right now. People expecting this big Cleveland bounce back. I don't see it. I think Cleveland is just a mess. They are not moving the ball offensively. 
uh, unless it's Nick Chubb just dominating the game, which he did in game one, and now he did in game two. If it's not Nick Chubb, this team cannot move the ball. And defensively, they have a lot of talent. I mean, a lot of talent. I just don't see it. I mean, the Jets moved the ball all day long on them. Baker Mayfield in the second half moved the ball all day long on them. I don't have a lot of faith in Mitch Trubinsky, but you cannot get me to lay three and a half with the Cleveland Browns. I have to say this, though. I take a look at these both of these teams, all things considered, right, from both what Cleveland and Pittsburgh have done here early on the season. I think these are pretty evenly matched teams. You know, you got, you know, a Steelers team coming off a loss to the Patriots where, you know, you're obviously without T.J. Watt. And that's a, that's a big loss. That's a huge loss for that Steelers defense. So I'm going to be intrigued to see exactly how the Browns respond to this loss to the Jets, and also going to be interested to see how the Steelers rebound from losing to you know uh, you know their AFC rival in the New England Patriots. So I think all things considered, both these teams are pretty evenly matched, Tommy, and uh, that may play out on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean it's a good point in an evenly matched. Spot, don't you want the points though? No doubt about it. No question about it. Yeah. I, I mean, and you're looking at it. You know, I always look. What are the odds makers telling us? Right. I always try to uh, look at that. The total for this game is 39 and a half at Caesar Sportsbook. 39 and a half right now is the the total for the game. So in a division game on national TV, in a, a game where I think we both agree both of the teams are are nip and tuck and they're pretty close. I'm getting points in a game that's supposed to be low scoring. You know, I'll take that all day long. It's simple handicapping at that point. I'm not saying I'm going to make a play on it, but you can't get me to lay three and a half points in what is supposed to be a low scoring game in division on national TV. And I'm giving Tomlin three and a half points. That hook is huge to me. That that, that hook is massive to me. How how are they giving three and a half points? I, I don't know. And then you go back in the history and I know it was Roethlisberger, right? But in the history yep. of, of Pittsburgh and Cleveland over the last decade and a half, Pittsburgh dominates this series. I mean, absolutely dominates the series, if that means anything for you. Because we always give credit to Ben Roethlisberger and the successes that he's had against Cleveland. But it was also Mike Tomlin for most of that. And Mike Tomlin's successes against the Cleveland Browns. All right, Chris, let's uh, let's take a time out here. We'll come on back when we get back. Got to talk about the quarterback controversies. The quarterback controversies may be brewing in Dallas for good reasons, certainly brewing in San Francisco, which we have to get into. And what is wrong with, oh boy, is it what is wrong with Lamar and the Ravens or what is right with Dan Marino and the Dolphins? Yeah, I said Dan Marino because that's what Tua looked like today. All that and more right after this right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Welcome back, everybody. Heatwave Sports, our number two. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here, sitting in with Chris Wynn, at Christian Wynn over on Twitter, at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. That gets you part of the show. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. Another, I mean, I, I just keep saying it. Tim said it last night, 2-1 and one yesterday. I lost my prop play that I gave free on the air. I won my over, and I have one play pending. I have a two-team parlay that is pending. Yeah, now you guys know I don't like parlays, but I have a two-team parlay that is pending. Uh, for tomorrow night. So I, I'm sitting back and I'm, I'm feeling good. No matter what, I'm going to walk out of here with, after the first two weeks of the NFL, up massive money for all of my clients, up massive money in college football. I am on red hot, ridiculous fire at TomBartonSports.com. So go check that out. 
you know, a, a game that I gave out, and I told you guys, I gave this out in the contest, getting two and a half points. And, you know, you could have bought it to the three, and it was one of those games I just I didn't love the way that the line was going. It seemed fishy. Tim talked about it being fishy, but I couldn't turn down Tomlin at home getting points. Well, the undoing was a muffed kick, and the Patriots walk away with a 17-14 win. This is how the Patriots are going to win this year, and this is how the Steelers are going to play this year. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be running. It's going to be low scoring. It's going to be defense, and that's exactly what this was. I can't say Mac Jones looked good because he didn't. I can't say uh, that Trubinsky looked good because he didn't. I think that it's time to give the the, the kid a shot, but they're not going to do it in a short week against the Browns. Maybe after that extra time, I, I think Trubinsky's time is, is come and gone here. Give the kid a shot, a prayer. But there were some nice things that you saw out of Pittsburgh. For the Patriots, look, basically this game was decided on one long pass play that was kind of a gift to Nelson Aguilar, and it, it was decided on a bad punt. And that's it. Don't get too excited if you're the Patriots because they should have lost this game. They should have been done. Damian Harris got hurt in the game. Mac Jones was injured during the week. So maybe you hold your head high and say, okay, at least at least we could kind of get out of there with a win. It's a good road win. I'm not taking anything away from it. But it's a game that they should have lost. And if you're the Steelers, you got to find a way to generate some offense. Harris wasn't very good again for the Steelers. You know, he's, he's like running in mud. Fryermuth looked good, but the receivers can't catch a cold. Trubinsky can't get out in space. The offensive line is as bad as people thought. This was an ugly one, Chris. And, and you know, I'm glad I... I lost in the contest with it, but I didn't feel terrible about the way that I looked at it because I just said, I just want three points in what's going to be an ugly game. This is kind of the MO for the New England Patriots, to be quite honest with you. This is how they win football games. It's an organization, you know, that doesn't worry about style points. And that, that's the way they're going to be as long as Bill Belichick is there until he ends up retiring and leaving. You know, they win by any means necessary, right, Tommy? You know, it, it was basically – yeah, a, a clinical, largely selfish win for, for New England over Pittsburgh today. And, you know, it uh, basically kept New England from uh, not having the first 0-2 uh, start in over 20 years. And as you brought up, they had that one big play, obviously, right, where Matt Jones hits Nelson Aguilar right there before halftime to give them a touchdown. But the big key moments, of course, was the muff, muff punt that kind of found its way into uh, Brendan uh, – uh, schooler's hands, right, to set up that uh, that big touchdown run by Damian Harris. And then you had uh, the Matthew Jadoin uh, pass deflection there in the fourth quarter. And then you combine that with New England, just, you know, pure physical domination by their offensive line that allowed New England to kind of drain the, the clock there, you know, uh, in the fourth quarter. And uh, it ended up being, you know, absolutely instrumental in, in the Patriots beating the Steelers for, what, the 13th time now? in 17 meetings on, under Bill Belichick. So, and it's, it's look, this is still a Patriots team, you know, even though Tom Brady's been gone for a few seasons now, even though, you know, a lot of the key guys from Super Bowl teams aren't there, it's a team, and Devin McCourty talked about this after the game. He said, look, it's, it's a team still trying to build an identity. So being able to eke out wins like this against key AFC rivals, even if they are teams that are kind of you know, on the mend or we don't really know yet what we're going to get from them, in the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's still big for the Patriots to get a win there and even their record out at one and one. All right, Chris, I'm going to give you the floor here. I'm going to let you talk about the Lions and Washington. I had the over. It was my play of the afternoon. 
I gave it to every member out there. Hutchinson, three sacks, but it was the St. Brown show. He led the team in rushing, two carries, 68 yards. He led the team in receiving, 116 on nine receptions, two touchdowns. They could not stop this Detroit offense. It's just that simple. Look, Carson Wentz had a good game, 337 and three touchdowns. Carson Wentz leads the league right now in touchdown passes. Carson Wentz looked good, and Washington came back in that game. But I'm telling you, this was the St. Brown show. This was a feel-good moment for the Lions, who were not favored in 24 straight weeks. They were favored in this one. They get the win, 36-27. Take the floor about your Lions. Yeah, a little bit eye-opening for us Detroit Lions faithful, Tommy, that uh, the Lions were actually favored in a football game. That that was the case against the Washington Commanders today. Look, Detroit waited until, what, week 13 of last year? to finally get Dan Campbell his first win of the season. And, uh, you know, look, this is a team that was desperate not to have another slow start to the season after uh, coming away with the loss last week in a game that uh, they were, quite frankly, they were overmatched against the likes of Philadelphia last week. They had a nice little offensive spurt there to make it a close game, but Philadelphia legitimately won that football game last week. But this week was a completely different story. You saw Jared, you saw, uh, Jared Goff go out there throw four touchdown passes. As you pointed out, there are a lot of effective offensive weapons for this Detroit team. Amon Ross St. Brown, big-time game. A guy that's absolutely quickly established himself as one of the top slot receivers in the NFL. A lot of comparisons after today's game being made to Heinz Ward, the former star wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and rightfully so, as he was a major factor for Detroit offensively. You like what DeAndre Swift brings to the table in the running game for Detroit. He's able to make catches out of the backfield as well as do damage on the ground, despite the fact that he was uh, a, a little bit questionable going in this game because of the ankle injury that he had. Uh, it showed no signs, though, Tommy, when he busted off that 50-yard uh, run there in the first half to kind of get Detroit's offensive juices flowing. And then defensively for Detroit, Tommy, we can, we can talk and uh, we can wax poetic a little bit about the Honolulu Blue and Silver from an offensive standpoint and what they're able to do and put up points. But defensively, you got to love Aiden Hutchinson, what the impact that he had in this game. Three sacks in the first half for the Lions. You got an interception that was key in the second half. You talked about what uh, Carson Wentz was able to do for Washington. Look, the, the commanders made an adjustment in the second half to give Carson Wentz more time, and Wentz took advantage of that team, pulling his team within seven points there in the third quarter with that touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel and then, uh, you know, a 20-yard pass to Logan Thompson and then that two-point conversion to Dotson. But the Lions' defense stepped up when they had to, and Will Harris had an interception there in that second half to kind of stunt the commander's rally to come back, and Detroit was impressive getting the win. Look, these are two teams I think they're very – I talked about, uh, you know, both the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers being very similar teams. I kind of looked at this matchup also where you get, you got two – franchises kind of trying to define themselves or just trying to get back into respectability when it comes to the NFL. They were both very evenly matched. Detroit, a very short favorite, but the Lions sent home a lot of us Lions fans happy and with some optimism with that offensive explosion in this game as well as in the game in the opener against Philadelphia. So Detroit sitting at one and one, making the the rabble rouser, Tommy, Dan Campbell, very happy as a head coach and the Lions fans sending them hope happy from Ford Field with a W. Yeah, you look at the the Lions, and they are the covering machine, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. But you got to give a little credit to Washington on the side. Carson Wentz did play yeah. well. 
Um, you, you, you see some good things. I did tell you guys uh, losing Chase Young and their starting safety was going to be a problem, and you could kind of see that. Now, I, I know it's hard to talk about a game or you know, next week for a team that didn't play, which is Minnesota, who they play tomorrow night. But you're getting at least seven, seven, seven and a half, depending on where you're looking. The Lions have lost eight of the last nine games. But last year, the Lions got a win, two-point win. Last year, Lions had a loss, two-point loss. Year before that, two-point loss. The last three contests have been two-point games. Are you leaning with your Lions plus the points? No, Tommy, it's going to be tough sledding for Detroit next week, playing against, in my opinion, the best team in the division of the Minnesota Vikings. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, offensive line is an issue right now. Even even though they got the win against Washington, Frank Ragnow, as well as Jonah Jackson, uh, were inactive because of injuries. And that's huge, especially the Frank uh, Ragnow, because that guy's, you know, he's a big time force on that offensive line for Detroit. And also, you know, you have quarterback, quarterback issues too. You know, you know Amani uh, uh, Oroare, uh, one of the key guys back there in that defensive secondary for Detroit was not available either. And it's questionable whether or not he's going to be around. So look, while I think Detroit can score points against Minnesota, yeah, I think they can. And I think Jared Goff's pretty confident right now. I think he went a little bit over the top after this game, Tommy, when, you know, you got him saying, I think we're a good offense, but I also think we can be a great offense. You know, I mean, I, I would probably, I would probably pump the brakes a little bit, Jared, you know, try, trying to go yeah. that direction. But that being said, I think they really are up, you know, up they're up against it in the situation against Minnesota next week. So I think that uh, let's put it this way. I think that the commanders have a much better chance when they host Philadelphia next week, as opposed to Detroit going to Minnesota and getting the win against the Vikings. Yeah. Washington getting four and a half in that game. Uh, the Eagles lead that series all time, but the Eagles have really owned them recently winning eight of the last 10 head-to-head matchups, but they've been close. Last year, 2016 game, uh, 27-17 game. The year before that, 20-14, to 27-17, 37-27. They've all 27-32. I mean, they've been 10 points or less in each of the last five games. You're getting four and a half. You're getting them at home. You like why you're leaning Washington? I mean, we have to see Philly play, but you're leaning Washington, your early take there? Yeah, we have the luxury of uh, still having another chance to see Philly here before the, the week is out. So I, I'm kind of hesitant there because I, I'm i one of those people that am, am really high in the Philadelphia Eagles. So I probably still lean Eagles, to be quite honest with you. But uh, it, it, may, it may be a perception that might change, Mr. Barton, if uh, depending on what goes down tomorrow night in this Vikings-Eagles matchup, my friend. I'm one of these guys. I'm going, look, if the Eagles win, I think that line goes up. I think it goes up to five and a half or six, and maybe you take Washington. Yep. If Minnesota wins, I think you get more than a touchdown with the Lions, and I'm all over the Lions. If that goes to seven and a half or eight, I'll be on the Lions. So whoever wins you know, tomorrow night, I'll probably be betting against them next week. All right, let's talk about Jaguars. Call sense, right, Tommy? Because I can absolutely see if that line goes to over, over a touchdown – against Minnesota for Detroit, I could absolutely see a repeat of week one where you had a lot of people that were on the Eagles, right, and, and thinking the Eagles were going to be fine. And the Lions with the old backdoor cover, that could absolutely come into play against the Vikings coming up next week. Yeah, a- absolutely. Let's talk about Jaguars, Colts. You want to talk about line movement. I told Tim when I when I was looking at the look-ahead lines, 
I said, man, I'm all over the Jaguars. I love them plus the four and a half. This line fell all the way to two and a half before kickoff. I, I still love the Jaguars. I still have them winning this division, and I feel good about it. Jacksonville absolutely spanks the Colts, who have still not won in Jacksonville since 2014. The Jags are 8-0 the last eight head-to-head against the spread. They win 24 to nothing. I told you guys when we sat there, when we did our previews this year, anybody that listened, Jacksonville's defense is going to have moments, and this was certainly a moment. I think that the Colts are a mess, and I've said this time and time again. They lost all four of their starting defensive backs. They lost their middle linebacker. They lost their defensive coordinator. You can't hit the ground and just feel like you're going to keep running in the same situation. You change quarterbacks. No Michael Pittman today. They don't have a second running back. Everything was set up for the Jaguars to absolutely win this game. The ticket count coming in last night, the public was all over the Colts, one of the highest bet teams, the third highest bet team ticket-wise. But the money was coming in on Jacksonville, which said people that are in the know knew that this was going to happen. Trevor Lawrence looked really good. Look, he only threw for 235, but he was 25 of 30. He started the game for 10 for 10. Uh, Robinson looks good. ETN looked good. Christian Kirk looked good. Evan Ingram looked good. Everything was working, and the defense really just shut this team down. Jonathan Taylor went into uh, mid-third quarter with like nine yards rushing. The Colts are a mess. Yes, they absolutely are, but the Jaguars are also for real. I don't think the Jaguars are world beaters. They're not a team I'm going to sit back and tell you that they're going to win playoff games, but you can see the development of the Jags in week one. They should have had the win, and they should be sitting here at 2-0, and and the Colts should be sitting here at 0-2. They squeaked out a tie. I was not surprised by this at all. I love what I'm seeing in Jacksonville. If you're down there in Duval County, Tommy, and you're a Jacksonville fan, you gotta love the balance of this team offensively. Look, they were they, it was it was quality, right? You had Trevor Lawrence with two touchdown passes to Christian Kirk. You had uh, you know you like what they can do from from a running game standpoint. But I'll play Captain Obvious right here. You take a look at the score, my friend, and you see the Indianapolis Colts with a big donut up there. You gotta give monster love to this Jacksonville defense. And look, Rayshon Jack Jenkins talked about this back, you know, during the offseason and in training camp. This is a defense that's gonna be drastically improved, right? He even talked about this back in 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 the spring about he how he saw he saw the talent, he saw the commitment, and and he felt that this unit could be special, and it absolutely has so far. The Jaguars flat absolutely harass Matt Ryan early and often. And, I mean, put him on his back, you know, five times, intercepted three of his passes, and, you know, holding Jonathan Taylor to 54 yards, that's big time, right? And so this is a Jacksonville team, by the way, and I was kind of – this is an eye-opening statistic to me that I did not know about. You know, each of Jacksonville's past three shutouts have come against the Colts, right? And they – the Indianapolis Colts have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. That's another thing that kind of opened my eyes as well, too. So – Frank Reich, head coach of Indianapolis, talked about it after the game. He didn't think there was any lack of motivation. Look, it's a divisional game. You, you want to win every single one of, of your divisional games and kind of set a tone, right? But he, but, and I would agree with Frank Reich. He thought he got out coached and just got flat out outplayed, right? And and you know, look in the in the games that Indianapolis played against Jacksonville back in 2017, 2018, they couldn't score in those games either. So I mean. This, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, when the Colts play the Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's just rough sledding from an offensive standpoint. And, you know, the Jaguars seem to have their way. So got to be pumped 
if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, even though that, you know, you did the loss last week, you kind of rebound, get this victory, and uh, it kind of right the ship in a way, I guess. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you look for that offense to improve. You look for Trevor Lawrence to get better. Christian Kirk has obviously been a monstrous addition to that team from an offensive standpoint. And you look to get Travis Etienne and, and, and these other pieces more involved. This could be a, a Jacksonville Jaguars team, Tommy, that could be throwing monkey wrenches into you know uh, re- very recent matchups coming up against some quality football teams in the, in both the AFC and NFC. You know, the line opened up. Uh, the Chargers minus ten and a half. It fell down to seven, seven and a half. We're all waiting on Herbert news here, but I don't care. I like the Jags plus the points in this one. I, I, I mean, I think the Chargers probably bounce back and win with the extra time. Uh, give me. I'm taking the Jags with the points almost exclusively <laughs> all year. And now the Colts. Well, you know the Colts. Everyone's kind of expecting the bounce back. You're expecting them to kind of right the ship. They're getting a full touchdown. Home against Kansas City. Kansas City with extra time off. Here's another spot. I want to go on the Colts. Everything in my handicapping brain says go on the Colts plus seven points at home to right the ship here. But I just can't stand what I watch. It's not even a Kansas City thing. This is an anti-Colts thing for me. They just haven't looked good. Chris, um, let's move on to Dolphins-Ravens. What an incredible game. I was texting back and forth with Timmy over the entire course of the game. And coming into the game, I said, look, Lamar Jackson has to run more. Oh, he did. He ran for 119 yards and a touchdown. They had an opening kickoff. They were dominating this game. And then Tua Tagovailoa turned into Dan Marino. I mean, 469 yards. He threw the ball 50 times, six touchdowns. Waddle was literally unstoppable until Tyreek Hill became unstoppable. Both of them with two touchdowns. Tyreek with 190 yards. It was unbelievable to watch this 28-point fourth quarter comeback. And Miami looks as explosive as we all said, wow, they possibly could be. They look absolutely fantastic, like a well-oiled machine. I'm going to give full credit to Miami here. But you also got to worry about the Baltimore Ravens defense. I know that their defensive backs were banged up, and they certainly were. But that's not going away anytime soon. They lost Fuller for the year last year. This is the first game back for Marcus Peters. Williams had Marcus Williams had a couple of interceptions. He looked really good, and then it just unraveled for them. Harbaugh's too good of a coach for this to continue to go down. But I think the Dolphins are absolutely for real. Miami looks explosive. Miami looks good. And this game could have been even worse because David Howard dropped an easy pick six in this game. Tom Barton, this was a textbook version of what a coming out party is, my friend. Look, through his first two seasons in Miami, you think of Tua Tagovailoa, right? You think of a guy that was adequate but wasn't exactly a star, right? He had It was absolutely not showing signs that he could be a big-time quarterback. So this performance was just monstrous for the Miami Dolphins, who end up improving now to 2-0 and under their new eccentric, kind of fun, kind of weird head coach in Mike McDaniel, right? It was to his first 400-yard passing game, and the six touchdown passes he threw tied a team record held by both Bob Greasy and Dan Marino. Not exactly also ran quarterbacks in the NFL, right? Guys who have won Super Bowls, in the case of Bob Greasy, but not Dan Marino, and a guy who's an all-time great in Dan Marino. So absolutely extraordinary performance by the Miami Dolphins in this situation, given what uh, Tua was able to do from a statistical standpoint. Now, look, it was also incredible 
just from, you know, the final quarter, right? I mean, they're down by three touchdowns, and, and you've got three speedy receivers for Miami essentially racing past the Baltimore Ravens defense in, in that fourth quarter comeback and having big-time plays. You know, t- capped off, obviously, by that Jalen Waddell seven-yard touchdown pass from Tua with 14 seconds left that kind of completed the comeback uh, after Miami being down, what, 35-14 with under 13 minutes left. So, uh, you know, Tua talked about it as far as what, what it means in the big picture. Uh, not too much, but he also talked that, look, it shows the resiliency of this team, and it shows you that this is something that's going to absolutely build confidence in this Miami team moving forward. And, you know, look, Tyreek Hill, we understand it was going to be a big-time acquisition, but the guy had, you know, touchdown catches of, you know, 48 yards and 60 yards during that rally. And, Chris, you know, you had, up. you had Justin Tucker kicking that field goal to, to put them up with uh, two, like little over two minutes left in the game. But it was just too much time, right, Tommy? It's too much time for that Miami offense which the Ravens weren't simply weren't able to come close to stopping in that last quarter. And look, you, you think of the you think of the Ravens, right, Mr. Barton? You think you know, they got Lamar Jackson, so you can keep up, and they could, uh, you know, they can end up uh, maybe you know coming back and pulling this out, or not coming back, but just you know holding serve and being able to win this game. Even Lamar Jackson is setting up keep for up uh, what two was doing on the field. That was an extraordinary performance, and what uh, as you pointed out was the game of the day and was kind of the uh, shocking game of the day in which, uh, you know, the fashion that it ended and the fact that it's, and now the Miami Dolphins are uh, are kind of holding up to uh, the preseason hype, right? Sitting at 2-0 and in that division where there's uh, looks looks to be a, a little bit of a transition as far as the power teams in that AFC West, Tommy. Chris, it's setting up for the best game on the board next week, Buffalo We'll be traveling to South Beach, giving four and a half points. We'll see how the Bills look tomorrow night on a short week, going to Miami. That's going to be an absolutely great game to watch. Baltimore is going to be giving three points on the road up in New England. That should be pretty good as well. Uh, let's let's talk Rams-Falcons. we got about five minutes before the break here. Rams-Falcons. Rams, you yes. said it uh, to me when we were off the air. Rams try to give this one away. Look, the Falcons, I'm not sure if I'm impressed with them or if I'm still just down on the Rams. I thought the Rams would come in here and absolutely slaughter them. Look, uh, full disclosure, I have the Rams in a two-team uh, money line parlay that that I went real big on. So I was getting nervous at the end, but I, I figured, you know, I don't like the 10.5. I didn't like the hook, but I think the Rams get out of here with a win, and that's exactly what they did. They barely got out of here. Uh, Cooper Cup looked great. This defense is lost. I don't know what's going on. You can't let Marcus Mariota, and oh, by the way, Kyle Pitts, he's going to be on a milk carton soon because he's just missing. You can't let them do what they did late in this game. Marcus Mariota and a collection of nobodies basically moved down the field on the Rams. I think there's problems in L.A. despite this win, and it's I want to give Atlanta credit, but I still don't believe in Atlanta despite two games where they actually looked good at times. I'm not believing in Atlanta, but I'm certainly not believing in the Rams. I think there's all kinds of problems in Los Angeles. Yeah, this is kind of a uh, woo moment if you're a Los Angeles Rams fan. Given, Look, last week, Jalen Ramsey obviously was under the microscope and had a bad game and essentially was you know, one of the goats as far as the Rams were concerned in the matchup against the Buffalo Bills. Well, he uh, was able to kind of, you know, kind of right the ship a little bit for himself, even though – you know, you had that maelstrom of the fourth quarter that saw the Falcons putting together that late rally. I mean, they're down, uh, you know, 28-3 to three 
you know, in the third quarter, and the, the Rams try to basically blow that game. You've got Mariota throwing, you know, second half touchdown passes. Like, look, I love Drake London. I think he's going to be a big time player for this Atlanta team. But also, uh, you know, to, to a couple guys that are just no names, right? Getting touchdown passes for the, uh, I mean, the average uh, NFL fan, I don't think is uh, very familiar with uh, Olamide Zacheas, you know, at, at, as far as the uh, Falcons receiving core is considered. But special teams and defense, you know, that came through, you know, to give uh, uh, basically uh, Marcus Mariota really a chance in this football game. And then you had the uh, Troy Anderson, you know, blocking the punt that uh, Lorenzo Carter returned for 26 yards for a touchdown. And, uh, you know, the two-point conversion uh, pass from Mariota to London that that made this really dicey for the Rams fans out there, right? With five minutes left, you got a, essentially a six-point game. And, and by the way, it was the first time since 1990 the Falcons had blocked a punt in a regular season game and returned it for a touchdown. That's uh, kind of a long – that's kind of a long period of time to have that type of play take place for your franchise. But, uh, look, lost – and then L.A. turned it over there in that uh, ensuing drive when Darren Hall forced the Cooper Cup to, to cough up the pumpkin and they had the ball at the 37-yard line. But, uh, look, Marcus Mariota took, took it upon himself, saying that uh, he's got a better job of communicating across the board uh, in those key moments, right? Even though, I mean, Mariota, he didn't, I mean, he didn't have great stats. He was, what, he hit two for just under 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns. But the two picks were pretty big for them. And this is a team, This is, again, one of those teams in Atlanta – yeah, they're sitting at 0-2, but it's still a team that's trying to establish their identity, so to speak. And you haven't – look, uh, from a fantasy football standpoint, a lot of people that, that were uh, banking on the likes of Kyle Pitts, right, to be a big-time part of that Atlanta offense that hasn't come to fruition yet, right, Tommy? So far this season, he's a guy that's obviously very talented from a physical standpoint, but he has not been able to put up any type of numbers whatsoever and hasn't been able to be that guy for the Falcons. And so uh, I think for the Falcons to have success moving forward, they're going to need to kind of fix that with respect to uh, Kyle Pitts. But I, I guess you can, you can find a little solace in this for Atlanta and that we're able to kind of come back and make this a ball game against the defending Super Bowl champions. But uh, for the LA Rams, it was definitely exhale time after this one was over and being able to kind of even their record at one and one, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Atlanta was able to make a comeback in this football game. Yeah, next week uh, they travel to Seattle getting two and a half points. That might be an interesting underdog if you believe in this Atlanta run. And the Rams, look, first instinct is take the Rams all day, minus the four and a half on the road in the desert against Arizona. But, man, the Rams, they look lost out there. You got to fix this thing pretty quickly because they look vulnerable. And it looks like uh, the Rams have some internal problems. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. We have two games left to go, and they both have quarterback controversy written all over them, and the two games we have to preview for tomorrow night, right here on Heels. Do you know who that was? The basketball player. He was LeBron James. He's kind of like the basketball player. Oh, yeah. I think I saw one of his soda commercials. Do you follow sports? Oh, my God. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The uh, I like smaller teams, like the not the big leagues. I like the like um, Long Island mediums. The, the acorn pine cones. I haven't heard The of Fire Island penguins. I like the Cincinnati Thunder Wizards. You can stop. The Orlando Blooms. You can stop. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. All right, guys. Welcome back to Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton with TomBartonSports.com. Sitting in with Chris Wynn here tonight. 
going over everything that happened in the day of sports. We're going to preview the Monday night games in a moment, but we do have some quarterback controversies going on. And uh, I guess it's not a longer controversy because both of these quarterbacks have the job. And I'm talking about Cooper Rush and, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo, which we'll get to in a moment. But Cooper Rush, he's got two starts, Tim. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. He's got two starts in a Cowboys uniform. Two times he's got wins. Two times he came from behind to get the win. He looks good. I mean, he looks good. Uh, He found his favorite receiver in Brown, 91 yards and a touchdown. I think the Cowboys, and I said this last night, I think the Cowboys know how they have to win. They know that their identity is going to be Pollard and Zeke. They know that they're going to have to win on defense, and Diggs and Parsons have to step up with Lawrence. And that's exactly what they did. Be a Cowboys hater all you want. I know everybody out there is always Cowboys haters, and I'm not a Cowboy lover, okay? Um, oh, that sounded bad. But, but be, hate the Cowboys all you want. They, they looked good. And they did exactly what they needed to do. And everybody that gets down on McCarthy, he changed his game plan. This is exactly what you wanted. Control the ball, play defense, just get by until Dak gets there. But I'm telling you, I was impressed with Cooper Rush. On the other side of the ledger here, the Bengals, I sat in front of all you guys uh, before week one when we were sitting there live on the Vegas Strip. And I told you the Bengals are having a bad year. The Bengals are going to be down this year. I worried about their offensive line that sacked Joe Burrow more times last year than any other quarterback. Their season last year was a fluke. Say it with me, folks. It was a fluke. They are now 0-2. Their defense got squashed again. They let up, or I'm sorry, their offensive line got squashed again. Their defense played well, but just not well enough to get the win. Cowboys 1-1, Bengals 0-2. Got to give credit where credit is due, Tommy. You did say that about the, uh, the Bengals from Southern Ohio, no question about it, before the season started. But uh, Cooper Rush, look. It is uh, pretty impressive, to say the least. The guy's got a 2-0 record, right, filling in, and he's got game-winning drives on the final possession in both of those wins for him. Obviously, it was a punch to the gut last week for Dallas Cowboy fans with Dak Prescott getting injured and, uh, you know, slamming his finger there on uh, on the helmet. But, you know, this is there's reason to be optimistic, I guess, if you're Dallas Cowboy fans with the, uh, the fire-up chips, the Central Michigan kid. Cooper Rush for the Dallas Cowboys, Tommy. And uh, looks like it's a good match between him and offensive coordinator Kellen Moore there in Dallas as uh, they're able to get some things done offensively. Look, it wasn't an explosive game by any stretch of the imagination for the Dallas Cowboys, but they're able to get things, some things done. And and uh, and Mike McCarthy talked about it. Look, it's actually exciting to see him be excited after he won the game. I mean, Mark McCarthy giving him credit for winning the football game, essentially to his quarterback, when I think he probably should have gave it to the defense, right? I mean, the defense really was instrumental in this win. This is a Cincinnati Bengals team that, uh, you know, uh, Joe Burrow ended up getting them even at 17-all with that 19-play, 83-yard drive there in the fourth quarter. And then you get that uh, five-yard touchdown pass to T. Higgins. And uh, and then you, you followed up with that uh, two-point conversion to Tyler Boyd. And uh, the Bengals, I mean, look, it's never going to be good, right, Tommy, if you're Cincinnati – and you're going to have to erase double-digit deficits like they had to, had to do back-to-back weeks, right? Last week, 17-3, to down to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This week, 17-3, to down to the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, only to miss two chances to win on both, a, you know, a, a PAT kick in the final seconds. And then you have that short field goal in overtime where they miss it too. So it's the Bengals team that seems to me that snake-bitten. And now Cincinnati, what, the first 0-2 team uh, that is a defending AFC champion 
since 1999 when the Denver Broncos were coming off those two Super Bowl victories and started 0-4 after John Elbert retired. There are some things that need to get worked out if you're in Cincinnati with the Bengals. And I'd look at this more as kind of an indictment, Tommy, of the Cincinnati Bengals, more than I look at it from the standpoint of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, kind of being a springboard for them. Look, uh, you know, Cooper Rush, you know, he's had his moments or whatever, but I'm going to sit back and say that the Cowboys are going to contend with the Philadelphia Eagles and some of these other teams, the NFC, that they're going to have to deal with, with Cooper Rush at the helm for a better part of the season. No, I'm not ready to say that, despite the fact that I like some of the things they do on defense. So to me, it's more bad stuff about the Cincinnati Bengals than it is good stuff about Dallas. The Bengals will take on the Jets. They're giving four and a half on the road. Remember what happened in New York last year? And, of course, we talked about the Monday night game. The Dallas Cowboys getting three, three and a half, depending on where you're looking against the Giants. Monday night football. That line was up to four at a point earlier today. Finally, the last game that went off, um, and this was, look, it's the big news. Trey Lance is down for the season. That's it. He's going to have surgery. He's going to be out for six months. The insurance policy, as Kyle Juszczyk called him, Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, wins this game. Garoppolo looked like Garoppolo always looks, and that is effectively fine. Um, Seattle, they were in this game. They had some moments there, but Geno Smith reverted back to what we thought Geno Smith would be. I'm not overly impressed with with the Niners. Um, I think that they are a better team with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. I think that they can make the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. But I need to see more than what I saw today. Look, it's an impressive 27-7 win. It was what it was. And I think that the team feels good about Jimmy Garoppolo being under center. I'm just in a spot where I'm not over – I'm not getting crazy about this game, but I think they're going to be better as the year goes on. Well, no question, right, Tommy, that this is a team that's kind of balancing emotions after that game, right? You get the victory, and you have Jimmy Garoppolo coming back there, and essentially it's you know picking up where he left off, right? I mean, it's like a quarterback that this is a team that has confidence in him as the single caller for them. He goes out there, throws a touchdown pass on his first full drive after replacing Trey Lance in that injury. And there was kind of an element of shock, right, for the 49ers there after you see your young quarterback who you essentially – give the keys of the offense to, and his tenure has ended, at least for the 2022-23 season, after not even two games on the field for them. And then you're going back to uh, your your old standby, right, in Jimmy Garoppolo. So Garoppolo had you know a little bit of a strange response again. I think that kind of mirrors the way the organization feels. He talks about how it was just like riding a bike for him, getting out there, right, and it felt good to be back, but he felt terrible for Trey Lance, you know, and talked about how Garoppolo has been on that side of it where he's been a guy that's gotten hurt and the league is tough and it sucks for him. And you've got Kyle Shanahan also talking about, you know, look, it feels for someone so bad. It's a sad moment, but you don't have time to sit there and think about it. So you've got this, you've got this kind of tug of emotions, right, Tommy, with respect to the San Francisco 49ers, because you want to believe, you know, you want to feel horrible for your young guy who you think is going to be your franchise quarterback. But at the same time, there's got to be this feeling, doesn't it, Mr. Barton? There's got to be a feeling, and in that locker room especially, that you know what? You know, we lost Trey Lance, but we have Jimmy Garoppolo now at the helm, and we think we could do damage with this guy. You and I talked about this off the air. You believe, you know, look, maybe this is a, a, a deal where this Niners locker room says, you know, and rallies around Jimmy G, and, says, and maybe they have more success or maybe the ultimate success because this is the guy 
that is going to be leading the way throughout the rest of this season. Well, you look at, uh, you know, what, what we're getting into next week. San Francisco getting two and a half against Denver, who's looked terrible. I, I mean, wow, that that might be a spot. And I talked about the Seattle game as well. All right, let's, let's talk about what's going on for tomorrow. And we have two Monday night games on tap, two really, really good matchups at least. Bills-Titans is the early game. Bills are a 10-point favorite, over-under sitting at 47 and a half. Look, the Bills have had problems with Derrick Henry in the past. The Bills have had problems with the Titans in the past. They've lost their last two. But all I heard out of Buffalo was how they remember Josh Allen fumbling on the one-yard line, how they remember that they lost to this team. Buffalo had an extra, not only so on Thursday to Sunday, Thursday to Monday, they got about two weeks to prepare for this Titans team. Tennessee, meanwhile, coming off of that loss, they didn't know what happened. They were unraveled at the end. The Giants just ran all over them. It was kind of like they, they they couldn't stop this team. They only ran Derrick Henry 21 times and really not quite a lot in the fourth quarter of that last game. I think Henry has to have a huge game, a huge game for them to be in it, which is saying that he, he certainly might have that huge game. I'm not going to say that he can't. Um, to me, this is Buffalo or nothing. You just cannot get me to go on the Titans here in any way, shape, or form. I think Tennessee probably plays close for a little while, but Buffalo pulls away at the end. There are injuries to worry about on the Buffalo side. Uh, I know Tredavious White is out. Gabe Davis showed up on the injury report. It almost doesn't matter, though. If you have Allen, if you have Diggs, a guy like Isaiah McKenzie, you have Knox, Singletary out of the backfield, I think, uh, you know, Moss and Cook, and there's just too much for the Buffalo Bills. This is one of those statement games. Normally, after beating a team on Thursday night, the defending Super Bowl champions, you can have a letdown. You're not having a letdown on Monday night football, Orchard Park, against a team that's beat you twice in a row and a team that Josh Allen fumbled on the one-yard line. There will be no letdown in this game. Tommy, these are two teams that are familiar foes, despite the fact they're not in the same division. Kind of a scheduling anomaly here, as uh, this is going to be the fifth straight year that both these teams take the field against each other last year. The Titans were able to win in a shootout type of game. What was 31, 34, 31 the final in that game last year back in mid-October when these two teams played each other. Obviously, the Titans are a very different team than they were a year ago in that matchup. But uh, make no mistake about it, Tommy Barton, Derrick Henry is going to be a big-time key in this tilt. This is a guy that's a you know the two-time NFL rushing champion and has five of his six touchdowns scored against Buffalo in Tennessee Titans wins against these teams and he had you know his best game yet against buffalo last year when he had 143 yards rushing and three touchdowns you know and he got by the way henry missed the final nine games of last season and was limited to you know just 82 yards on 21 carries and there were just way too many holding penalties in that game last week against uh the new york giants in which they lost that game so you've got the titans coming off that uh, tight loss to the Giants in week one. And then, of course, you've got the Buffalo Bills coming off that dismantling of the defending Super Bowl champion Rams in week one on opening night, that opening night Thursday game. So uh, everything, to be honest with you, points to Buffalo in this matchup for me. You love, you know, uh, Josh Allen, his development and his emergence as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. You like uh, the versatility that they have in the, in the backfield for Buffalo. 
And you like uh, what uh, the Bills are going to bring to the table from a defensive standpoint against the Tennessee Titans this week. And look, I mean, I, I understand that uh, the, you know, a big key, Tommy, is going to be that Bills defensive line against Henry. The Bills, you know, overhauled their entire defensive front, bringing in Phillips, bringing in Jones, bringing in Settle in free agency to kind of build up that run defense after being bowled over by not just the Tennessee Titans last year, but by several teams. And, you know, that 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 new line limited the Rams to, what, 52 yards rushing last week. So that's going to be a, a big-time key in this football game is to see what that defensive front does for Buffalo against the Tennessee Titans and their rushing attack. Last game to go. We got exactly five minutes before we got to get out here. Eagles giving two and a half to the Vikings, the total sitting at 50 and a half. Uh, look, I am very impressed with the Vikings. I had both of these teams going over their wins total for the year. I'm impressed with the Vikings. I was impressed with the Eagles offensively. Defensively, I was impressed with the Vikings, but not with the Eagles. I thought that this was going to be a defensive team. I thought that they made the right moves in the offseason, bringing in some kind of good defense here with the Eagles. I am not impressed with what they can do or what they did do in the first game against your Lions. But now I look at the Lions kind of throwing it all over the place. Maybe I have a differing opinion. I love this game from a fan's point of view. I think Jefferson against Brown is going to be fun. I think Kirk Cousins, who's 2-9 and nine all-time on Monday Night Football, the worst record of anybody that's ever played 10 games on Monday Night Football ever, and his two wins come against the Bears. I think that that is a storyline. I have to lean the hometown Eagles here, but I am not touching this game. I think that we got some scoring here. I think it could be a fun game, but I can't touch it. I'm going to be real interested to see what these teams look like coming out of this one. No doubt, Tommy, a couple of fascinating storylines when you take a look at this matchup because there are two teams expected to contend in the NFC and possibly contend for a Super Bowl. Both teams 1-0 on the season. And Minnesota, another one of those storylines you just brought up, right? Kirk Cousins in prime time. And can he get it done against a quality opponent? Well, we'll find out, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're gonna, it's gonna play out exactly what it is. He is, uh, what his intestinal fortitude is, I should say, regarding this type of situation. And then, of course, you brought up Justin Jefferson. Now, look, uh, Nick Sirianni, uh, always the offensive coordinator, right? A guy that loves to scout offensive talent and did just very that when talking about, you know, the likes of Justin Jefferson at LSU. He has nothing but uh, rave reviews for the, the wide receiver, and rightfully so. And uh, I don't know if he's going to be waxing too poetic, though, about Justin Jefferson. He's out there lighting up this maligned Eagles defense, Tommy. And after accumulating, what, the most yards receiving in NFL history over a player's first two seasons, you know, Jefferson just went nuts in that opening win over the Green Bay Packers last week with 184 rece yards receiving and two touchdowns. If the Eagles are going to win this football game, yes, I get it. It's at home in Philly in the city of brotherly love but they're going to have to contain Justin Jefferson. He cannot go out there and just torch that Philadelphia Eagles secondary. And we saw, look, last week the Detroit Lions lost that football game, but Detroit was able to score points against that Eagles team, especially there in the second half. That's something that has got to be concerning for Philadelphia, especially going up a team against a team the likes of uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who have Dalvin Cook, who have Justin Jefferson, who have you know pieces – on, on, that, on that offensive side that can absolutely score points. So to me, it's going to be a, a huge matchup is going to be uh, uh, what the Eagles can do from an offensive standpoint. Can they get Devontae Smith going? You know, can they get A.J. Brown to have a second week like he had in week one and, you know, where he had a career high 155 yards receiving, by the way. 
And can Jalen Hurts, you know, uh, be that quarterback that can uh, that can take him to the promised land, right? Can he be that guy that can uh, have have a solid combination of his feet and his arm contributing for Philadelphia to uh, to kind of keep up with what I think could be possibly a shootout in this tilt between Philadelphia and the Eagles, Tommy. I tell you, I'm excited for tomorrow night's game. I love when they give us two Monday night games here, but I don't love that they're kind of stacked. I don't like that I'm going to be flipping back and forth in the fourth quarter uh, between two games. I I like the way that they used to do it, even though it kept me up all hours of the night. Chris, it's been a fantastic. Yeah, what's the deal, Tommy? What's the deal with that? You know, you have normally you have the two Monday night games, right? It's it's the opening week week of the season. Now, you know, all of a sudden it's week two. It just seems kind of random, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. It, there's a lot of things random with this season. The Amazon Prime uh, broadcast was a, a complete nightmare. Yeah, there, there's a lot going wrong, but we're still going to watch because it's the NFL. Uh, Chris, it was a wild and crazy week, too. Good show today. That's Chris Wynn. Go check him out on Twitter. It's at Christian Wynn over on Twitter. i say thank you again to everybody that's part of the show. Um, guys, look. Go check out TomBartonSports.com. I am absolutely on fire. I can't tell you how on fire I am. More than just keep giving you the statistics, keep giving you that every single day I am turning a profit. Go check it out, TomBartonSports.com. Go check out my YouTube channel. It's Tom Barton Sports. You want to listen to the podcast? It's Believe in Betting on the Podcast Network. I'm giving out a free play. I haven't missed a free play in three weeks. I'm absolutely crazily dominating there. The other podcast is Wagering Week on the Sports Garden Network. Plus, we also have Ivy League football, so you go check out my Believe in the Ivy League. Uh, the Ivy League football schedule kicked off. Harvard had a real good comeback win on Friday, and I, I know nobody cares. But, hey, it's out there. But go check out TomBartonSports.com. Guys, it has been an absolutely fantastic week, two. And I have to tell you, we always go into the NFL season, and we always look at the NFL season and say, hey, you know, it can't be as good as it was last year it can't be as good when we sit back and we talk about week one exceeded every expectation that i possibly had and i said the same thing that i always say week two cannot be better than week one and week two was better i'm looking at week three's card and i am pumped up me and tim will be back saturday night to go over all of the week two uh, of the week three card we're going to give you our picks again I have to give Tim some credit before I get off the air here. I know I got, I'm coming up against a break. Uh, he won again in his Timmy teaser. It is on fire. He dominated it last year. This year, he's already 2-0. So I got to give Tim a lot of credit there as well. I went down with my prop, my prop play out there, but it's still a very good day. Thank you again to Chris Wynn. Thank you to Tim Unglesby, Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton. We'll talk to you Saturday night for more Heatwave Sports. Have a good night, Las Vegas. <laughs>